short-lived sci-fi series. That's that's what I wanted to talk about because they just there's so many out there. There's so many that were really good that tanked, and yet there's a whole bunch of them that ran for like what felt like nine friggin' years. <laughs> nine hundred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it, it's you know you you can. Dragon Ball Z. Oh, that's I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even gonna mention that. <laughs> Say not the name. Uh, yes, but the I, battle the battle for Namek took roughly <clears throat> sixteen years. Me. Yeah, and it was animated real time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot of what I but I was gonna talk about a lot of the shows that it you you can you can sum it up in like a three or four sentence paragraph and right. say this is what it is mm-hmm. and the thing had seven or eight seasons and yet there are some that seem pretty complex right that they just right they just within <laughs> you know right they they had a really good tv movie or something like this and then mm-hmm. they started to put it give them a series and just ah, that's yeah. it but or the ones that had the complicated premise the complete series bible the character the characterizations of the wazoo yeah and had six episodes yeah that's it that's <laughs> all canceled bed run we're good yeah all done <clears throat> thank you for playing <laughs> but yeah that's what's coming up next we're going to talk about long-term sci-fi shows and short-term and how some some of the short-term had really good ideas but they never got to bring those to fruition and then there's some that were so long that they 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 wore out their stay. Yeah. And it's a shame because they probably could have done more with it or less. But mm-hmm. that's what's coming up next on Couch and Coffee Table. This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. I'm Heather Perry. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the short and the long of the sci-fi series that some of them that were, they didn't last very long, but they had really good story ideas. They had had a great premise and they just, for whatever reason, the network said, nope, not going to do it. And then there are some that, for whatever reason, they just showed up and the studio said, that's great. That's fantastic. We, we want to keep this on. Nobody may be watching it, but it works for us. Yeah. Please keep in mind too, that anything that we mention, if you are a fan, please do not be offended. This is just an opinion. It does not reflect the show itself. This is just the perspective of me and of my wife, Heather. Hi. <laughs> this might this might become two parts actually. Um, yeah, we might yeah. do a second part on Wednesday about just what doesn't work. Yeah, and and maybe why from our perspective, just with all these different uh, with all these different productions and different ideas, what do we think is the common theme of it not working? Why didn't it catch the public's eye? Do you want to lead off? Well. Uh... Do you want to start by the decade, or do you want to start with specific um, TV shows? Anything you're thinking of off the top of your head? Because well, I've got I've got two in mind already. Okay, so like right from the bat, there's there's two that I can mention that were short run that didn't work for various 
reasons. Yeah. And uh, the first one is is a little bit of a I don't I don't know if anybody remembers this show. Uh, it aired in 1988, and it was a mid season replacement for something else. It was called Probe. And the premise was uh, the gentleman was super smart, antisocial. What was the actor's name? It was Parker Stevenson. <clears throat> oh, the guy. He was one of the Hardy Boys in the okay. 70s. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good actor. Just. Yeah. He, he had a really good look and he just, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, he, I think he got typecast and mm -hmm. that, that always hurts an actor's career. It helps and it hurts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Bella Lugosi was no. I'm sorry, it was uh, not Bella. It was Boris uh, um, Karloff. Boris Karloff was was pretty content to be typecast because he had a set character type yeah, that he yeah. was comfortable playing, and he was yeah he was pleased to do that job, and he didn't feel slighted in the least. But I know a lot of actors do chafe against that. They they <clears throat> get handed the same premise in a script every mm -hmm. time and there's no real way to really grow mm -hmm. in their acting however if you are typecast with a lot of actors they would probably sit there and say hey it's work it's yeah. steady work take the money you know and there, there's a lot of me i will be a monster again for you yeah and that <clears throat> so it's a double-edged sword it just mm -hmm. depends on the perception of the actor in question right well this this show i loved um, so, uh, the actor is a misanthrope and then, uh, there was an actress who was assigned to be his secretary. That was actress Ashley Crow. Okay. And she was quite plucky and had, uh, the eighties perm and, uh, dealt with it well. And basically the show was science fiction set up. Uh, he was sort of a Sherlock Holmesian character and mm -hmm. she was a Watson foil. And, uh, there was some mild romantic tension between the two. <clears throat> It had a pilot, two-parter, and six episodes. So it was canceled within two months, and I was devastated because I was wow. really into it. Yeah. <clears throat> so this thing had momentum, and then it was gone. Yeah, completely. And I don't wow. like a backstory. Um, and I, I hadn't thought about it in years until we started talking about this, and I just looked it up. There's a Wikipedia entry. Probably you can find all of the episodes online somewhere on YouTube. I have not seen it since it aired, so I don't have a sense of how well it aged. Um, 88, I was uh, 14. So a uh, 14-year-old age really dug it. <laughs> and, um, I, I, you know, I, I always loved Sherlock Holmes as a kid. I read Holmes, and uh, we had uh, The Adventures of Tintin in my house, and so uh, that sort of investigative detective sciencey thing was was my absolute uh, brand of choice <clears throat> yeah okay so that's that's what this particular show hit those notes for me at the time uh and that was gone <laughs> never to resurface yeah so there's there's a lot of shows like that i mm -hmm. mean uh two of the ones i was going to cite from the 60s both very very different one is still very well known, and that would be Star Trek. It only the original only ran for like three seasons. Only ran for three seasons. That third season was limping along for the writer strike too. Yeah, well, a lot of it, from what I understand, the suits 
yeah. had taken it away from the creator. Yes. And if, if you ignore the creator of a series, yeah. it's going to start to go downhill. Yeah. One of the other things that I found out uh, just in talking <clears throat> with a lot of people, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't talked to a lot of people. I've done a lot of reading. Excuse me. I've done a lot of reading. In reading up on the series, one of the things that really, really hurt the series was the fact that it was so expensive to make for its time. And the price on it is really what kind of, when the third season started limping and it was so expensive to make, the suits were probably sitting there just kind of going, okay, we got to, we, we got to get it out, of, get it out of here. We can put on reruns of Petticoat Junction or uh, <laughs> Green Acres or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, another series that only ran for about three seasons. It was in the early 60s. It's a fun series, but there's only so much you can do with it. It's a show that I recently got a chance to finally see called My Favorite Martian. Oh, and it's got Bill Bixby, <coughs> who my generation would know from The Incredible Hulk, but he he also was in Courtship of Eddie's Father. Uh, he did like two or three. He, he was in a short-lived TV series called The Magician. And this, I, I haven't been able to find any any of this show, but it was uh, from what I'm, he's a magician who solves crimes, murders and stuff like that. So mixed murder, she wrote, or heart to heart with magic. Okay. And that should have worked. It should have worked. And <laughs> I heart was on forever. <laughs> I really like Bill Bixby. And yes. so I'm 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 a fan of his work, so I yeah. want to track it down. He of incredible Hulk fan, yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. David He's Banner. Very, very good actor. Yeah. Very good actor. Very good actor. Mm. Very e very easy, accessible mm -hmm. from what I'm to understand. He was a very easygoing guy, very approachable. <clears throat> uh, you know, very, very smart. And he was part of the Magicians Guild in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So he really did do magic Where's tricks and stuff like that. Yeah. Prestidigitation. Yep. Prestidigitation. <laughs> that is a difficult word, but I like it. It is. It's a fun word. <laughs> but the premise with My Favorite Martian, um, the person that he was paired with who was the Martian was Ray... Um, oh... I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. Googled the rescue. Okay. While you're doing that, um, <laughs> one of the things he's known for is uh, this particular actor was in a movie that I really like called Popcorn. Oh. And he was also in Fast Times at Richmond High as Mr. Hand. I have never seen that film. It's I'm okay sorry. if you haven't. It's It was yeah. one of those that uh, if, if, you're, if you're of the Gen X generation, then a lot of the references I'm throwing out, you're going to get. Uh, but uh, his uh, name stars was Ray Walston as Uncle Martian. Ray Walston. Yeah, okay. Ray Walston. He was the <coughs> Martian and basically crash lands on Earth and he ends up. Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just looked up the picture. Yeah, she just saw a picture of Ray Walston. The familiar, familiar. For those of you who can't face. see. Yeah, sorry, uh, Wikipedia, it's it's a great thing. But he crash lands on Earth, the Martian does, and ends up being um, picked up by this reporter. And he comes to live with the reporter, and he they pass him off as his uncle. And it's very episodic in which 
they every week he's trying to get his spaceship built rebuilt so that he could get back to his people and it's all the interaction he has and the powers that he has with the earth people and he's always like two or three steps ahead of everybody and there are elements of bewitched in it because the neighbors are always wondering why is the uncle so weird so there's there's bits of bewitched in it but very quickly as you begin to watch these it becomes very episodic and i think the reason Mm -hmm. when it became episodic it worked but because it's such a simple premise it would only work for about three seasons and i think that's why after those three seasons i mean i'm 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 trying to give explanations from what i'm seeing just going this is probably why from the information i'm gathering and from what i'm seeing this is why these these shows only lasted for so long versus yeah. something like Twilight Zone that mm-hmm. ran for five seasons had a really good. Mm-hmm. You've reminded me of two others that I hadn't thought about in okay. ages though. Uh, speaking of Twilight Zone first though, um, there was a brief time where they went to an hour long format. Yes, yes. That didn't work at all. Yes, the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone did an hour format, I believe it's fourth season. It yeah. ran for five seasons. Mm-hmm. Fourth season, it they they went to the hour format, and one of the writers' biggest complaints is is that if you use the half hour premise, you can keep the pace up yeah. and just keep it going, keep mm-hmm. it going, and then you <coughs> can zing it, and then from there work out mm-hmm. what happens after the zing. Versus uh, one of the writers in one of the books that I have concerning the Twilight Zone mentioned that you can start out and saying, okay, we got a guy who walks through walls. Okay, what do you do after that? Well, he can do this and he can do this. With the hour-long format, by the end of it, he's got to be walking on water. (laughs) Yes. Because you just, you've got to build. Well, that and my experience watching it as a kid, uh, because of course this went into syndication. So growing up, uh, in my house, you you kind of had the whole gambit of '60s TV show because it was all running on syndication. So yeah, uh, all of the black and white stuff. And, and my family, we watched a lot of Perry Mason. We watched the Munsters. Yeah. We watched the Adams Family. Oh yeah, same, um, same. Yeah, and I I didn't get a lot of a lot of the ones that we've gone back to watch. Like I've never I didn't ever watch my favorite Martian, and I missed. Yeah, I I didn't the episodes either. That I didn't running. either. I recently. <laughs> went back to look at it just because I thought, you know, that's, that's yeah. an interesting 60s TV show. And I, mm-hmm. I wanted to take a look at it. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's mm-hmm. real simple. It's, it doesn't have a lot of heavy duty social commentary. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's yeah. meant for laughs. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty disarming. It's, gotcha. Going, it's an all ages sci-fi show. Going, going back to Twilight Zone though. When, yeah. I, when I watched it as a kid, um, in the hour-long format, I felt that I, the audience, understood what was happening a lot faster than the characters. So then I had to wait for the characters to catch up when it was obvious. And it wasn't obvious because I was the omniscient viewer. It was obvious because I, you know, the gent walks through walls and it's like, oh, we can walk through walls. That's really cool. Let's do stuff. And then he refuses Mm -hmm. to do stuff because he doesn't believe that he himself can walk through walls, despite his experience having just walked through one. And so as a viewer, that was really frustrating because I just wanted them to get on with it. 
Um, but it's it, this is one of the reasons why you have a Gen X couple talking about 60s media that they grew up watching. That's why uh, it's syndication. Yeah, it was just on TV. It's <clears throat> on TV. But really short-lived science fiction that probably no one remembers. Here's one from 82. Okay. Uh, so I would have been, uh, what it was, eight? Eight, I think, okay. in 82. It was called right. The Phoenix. It was terrible. Uh, it lasted less than a season. I was obsessed. Yeah, I don't. Judson I... Scott was the titular character. Okay. He was an alien. He had a pyramid-shaped ship or something, and he... Like he could do some sort of photosynthesis. Uh huh. And so, you know, there's Judson Scott, who is uh, kind of a 70s heartthrob sort of fellow. Right. Um, often, often depicted in whatever role as, you know, with his shirt mostly off <laughs> <laughs> and feathered blonde hair. I mean, you know, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Dusting it's... his shoulders. Anyway, eight year old Heather was impressed. And uh, <laughs> his character had to meditate all the time. So he was always like doing some sort of yoga. And being in the sunlight because the sunlight charged him up like a battery. He had this, he had this freaking gold medallion on his chest. Um, there was a lady character who was uh, kind of the lukewarm love interest, and lukewarm only for the writing, not for her acting. She was a good actress. I'm trying to find her name here. Uh, but this was this was eighty two to eighty three, barely. Um, it looks like wow. there was one season, five episodes. Um, that's a mini series. Yeah, barely, barely. And let's see, characters. Yeah, that's. Oh God, I forgot about this. So Judson Scott was Bennu of the Golden Light. The protagonist is an alien who possesses special abilities, including physical levitation, telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance, astral projection, and telekinesis. So he was always doing yoga around the house plants, and this goes into his. Uh, his whole uh, shtick here. There's the villain. Um, I've never heard of this. Oh, it's terrible. We've got to find episodes. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll look around. See <laughs> I was obsessed, and my brother kept teasing me nonstop about it because he knew I had a crush on Jackson Scott. I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other problematic uh, crush of my childhood was <laughs> a series, and you absolutely know this one, Man from Atlantis. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to mention Man from Atlantis. How could I not? Patrick Duffy. <laughs> which, okay. Which, you know, we got the series. Oh, yes. And I have the book. <laughs> yeah, we got the series, and I got a chance to watch it. It's not bad. Mm. It actually is pretty good. It starts out pretty good. Yeah, it started it's, out with TV movies. Yeah, it like started out with TV movies, movies and it mm. really... For those of you, Patrick Duffy, you would know as yeah. um, Bobby Ewing from Dallas. Uh -huh. Yeah. For, the, for those of you who are looking for a reference point as far as mm -hmm. what the man from Atlantis looked like. This was before mm -hmm. Dallas. It it has a good premise, I felt like. It you does. So, so basically, yeah, this was ahead. 77, so I was three when it aired, but I, I caught it in syndication. Um, there were four TV movies, and it starts out with um, it's on the coast of California. This guy washes up on shore and he's brought to the ER. He's blue and unresponsive and doctors are trying things. And Dr. Elizabeth, and so this was one of my few 
examples of uh, you know, women's lib in the workplace. There was a lady doctor as opposed to all these male 1960 scientist films I've been watching. Um, yeah. so Dr. Elizabeth figures out he's got gills and she dunks him in some salt water and, uh, or go, they throw him, chuck him back in the ocean and he wakes up and, uh, he has amnesia. So through the TV movies and I don't remember the movies, but, uh, I started watching the series, uh, he is trying to figure out who he is. No one understands how he can do the things he can do. Um, he's kind of like an Aquaman superhero. That's that's how it hit me very yeah. much in the beginning. I felt like mm -hmm. this was an offshoot of Aquaman. Yeah. And I felt it was done yeah. well for that. Yeah. I he, thought he, DC should have been taking notes. Yeah. He washes up in his little gold swim trunks. And uh, Patrick Duffy himself spent so much time underwater. And he he swam in a really weird way uh you know weird according to infant heather uh because he he would ripple his body like a dolphin so he wouldn't use his arms to swim he would just propel himself by undulating his body and it was it was a striking visual effect most of this most of the thing was filmed underwater um they honest honest to betsy had him set up at the bottom of a swimming pool with like a, a living room suite so there's Patrick Duffy sitting at the bottom of a pool trying to read a paper. It was so cheesy. But the first two seasons were all about him trying to figure out his origins. Dr. Elizabeth was helping him. There was an institute, a government Navy thing that he was sort of uh, trying to work with. And they were trying to uh, control him, but not really because they were supposed to be the good guys. But then there was always a bureaucrat who wanted to do you know, let's dissect him. Let's vivisect him. You know, that sort of thing. And then um, third season, the writing changed and they, the show people went to a Star Trek format. Yeah, very much. Well, and it, it got weird. Star Trek slash Sequest. Mm. Yeah. For those of you who <clears throat> remember Sequest. Mm -hmm. So there was a big submarine ship and suddenly the man from Atlantis, who's, who's series in the series, he's called Mark. Uh, suddenly he's in charge of the thing. And if you're watching the show, you're like, how did Amnesiac Fishman get to be in charge of a sub? Yeah. How did, <laughs> how did he become Captain Kirk underwater? This is weird. And then so everybody's taking orders and he's sitting in the captain's chair and they're like, where to next? And he's like, over there, let's look at jellyfish. And uh, they introduced a series villain uh, called Mr. Schubert. And it was, okay. uh, I forget the actor, but he was like a, a Nero Wolf type actor. So he yeah. was heavy set with a beard and he was just he ate the scenery victor bruno was that actor yes name? yes uh he was king tut in the old batman yes. series oh, and word. he's also yes. done some really good horror movies very he, good character actor not a lot of people know about him but yeah. they should he is a delight he absolutely chews the scenery if you know every vaudevillian villain's dream this man just takes it on with a plum and uh then the series like when they're on uh, the, i forget the ship's name it's like the cetus or something when they're on the sub weird stuff happens so they go through dimensional portals a couple of times there's like uh, probably there's a medieval evil episode and uh, the series on you know unex not unexpectedly peters out after that um yeah wikipedia says it's got uh 13 episodes plus four television films. Yeah, so, yeah that sounds about uh, right. When, when I'm talking about a season three, I'm obviously incorrect. 
but uh, that's what it that's what it seems to be. Uh, I guess it's listening list, listing here the four movies, and then the series itself only had. Uh, I'm scrolling through 13 episodes. <clears throat> uh, but like the last episode is called Deadly Carnival. And let me read a brief synopsis here. Mark goes undercover to investigate members of a carnival planning to break into a museum. The only way to break into the museum is through an underwater tunnel through which only Mark can swim. When he is approached, he refuses. The owner of the carnival is then kidnapped and threatened unless Mark helps. Now, none of that has really anything to do with let's find out who I am because I can breathe underwater and I only showed up wearing little shorts. Uh, Excuse but, me. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's... Um... Uh, it's it's kind of kooky. Um, I I don't think it's aged particularly well. Um, his fish-based superpowers kind of fade if he dries out, so if he's away from the water for too long, the series put in, like, he gets weaker and starts to die, so he's got to be dunked, uh, much like Popeye with a can of spinach, <laughs> periodically. <laughs> like, don't let him dry out. Um, but... He uh, he did a good job with a role. He brought uh, a lot of physicality to it as an actor, and it's it's got some fun moments. I still remember some of the episodes, so that's telling. It's been a very long time <laughs> since I have seen them, and I do have the novelization yeah. of one of the first TV movies. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's a fun time, but it didn't it didn't last, and I think it. I think it didn't last for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think it suffered from some schizophrenic writing. Like they weren't really sure what they wanted to do with this character. And the trope of searching for your true past is a really common one, but yeah, you've got to keep moving through that. You know, when you, when you're on the quest cycle or the hero's journey, you've got to keep moving through that. And if you hem in your character with, we have to keep him at, at you know, Navy SeaWorld here. Or yeah. we have to, we you know, no military institution would allow this valuable asset out. So we've got to do stuff. Yeah. Um, I have not yet sat down to watch The Shape of Water. But I need to. I'd like to. It's uh, it's one of those films I'm like, I don't I don't quite know if it's going to upset me. Because <laughs> some of the yeah. things involved in it are upsetting you know the captivity and the just how how do you determine what deserves or or should have you know um freedom in in a particular context and and there's one way of of thinking that if it's alive it it deserves not to be captured and experimented on um and there's other schools of thought that uh contradict that so as my understanding of the film, and I've tried not to spoil it for myself, uh, there are a lot of those particular explorations in the film, as well as it's a del Toro film. I like him as a director a lot. I like the atmosphere he brings to movies. Yeah, he does. I, <clears throat> I agree with you there. I, I yeah. would have cited scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, very good I, I love, what he, love mm -hmm. what he did there. I want a sequel <clears throat> so bad because yeah. it was set up so works. easy. Yeah for one and so yeah, i'm waiting for more stories mm -hmm. more scary stories oh, they, to tell in the dark there i mean anybody who read the grew up reading the books knows there there's more <laughs> yeah there's plenty to mine so it's just what, what they're going to do next yeah they're, they're they're in talks as i understand but anyhow shape of water um creature of the from the black lagoon uh 
these are uh, siblings to to the concepts behind Man from Atlantis. And uh, as cheesetastic 70s horrific as it is, um, you know, it's probably out there on YouTube. Uh, I think we found it at the library. So, you okay. know, it's, it's out on DVD somewhere. It's it's uh, it's a part of my childhood, definitely. Um, but only one season and a couple, a handful of movies. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so yeah, early 70s, early 80s, uh, or I should say mid to late 70s, early 80s. Uh, networks were trying a lot of these kooky concepts. and They were. They were throwing stuff <clears throat> against the wall to see what would stick. Mm -hmm. I mean... We went through also a period <clears throat> of time me. where um, things were mythological. So there was Azena, there was Hercules, there was a yeah. Willi there was a William Tell series that I liked. Yeah, uh, um, there was a there was a lot of those, especially in like the nineties. Yeah, I, think I was Zena still living at home, so it was before I left for college. Prior okay. to ninety two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. Just you know, just it seems like every every year, ever or every new season. Uh, you'd have some sort of weird concept come out and you'd watch a couple episodes and it would be strange and then gone. Um, the ones I mentioned are the ones I thought of first. Yeah. And uh, it's surprising looking back how many are one hit wonders. There's, there's a lot. Uh, for right now, what I thought we'd do is uh, we're going to pause just for a second mm -hmm. and then we're going to come back and I'm going to remind Heather of one in particular <laughs> that we probably... Are going to be talking about and uh we're still going to dabble a bit in the 70s and 80s just because mm -hmm. uh there's there's a lot there that we mm -hmm. as gen xers remember um but we're also going to talk about some 60s shows and we're also going to talk about how there are certain shows that they had their run short or long and they just kept coming back stop <laughs> and sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes mediocre. But there are some of these shows that you just can't get rid of. And that's much to the chagrin of the suits, the executives <laughs> who wanted them killed in the first place. You oh. kill them and they just get bigger. Interesting. But that's coming up in the next segment. For now, you're listening to Couch and Coffee Table. We'll be right back. This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back to our second segment here, Couch Surfers. Uh, we're probably going to be running through this. Uh, we are either we're either going to do a third segment or we're going to continue this discussion on Wednesday. Or yes. We might do yes, because yeah. The more, we, the more we think about it, the more we're remembering. Yeah, there's there's a lot of shows out there. Um, we were just finishing up some research on Lost in Space, and Heather just mentioned to me that Lost in Space. I had thought, I thought that it had ran for like five or six seasons, but she had double checked the facts and the figures, and Lost in Space only ran for three seasons because the creators only wanted it to run for three seasons because they felt like that it was going to be played out after the three seasons. Yeah. Now in memory and the hand, like I've seen maybe five episodes total, but, um, 
it the series seems like it goes on forever it does and... it really does and it seems like after a certain point all i saw was dr smith the kid and the bot yeah the robot yeah. and that's all i saw it's it's like the rest of the family decided to go home but they left the youngest with smith so that you know that he's well, gonna fall on that grenade it's yeah like. that's it just... like when shaggy and scooby and scrappy doo are are siphoned off to have adventures and everybody hates scrappy doo with a blazing passion yeah um but for some reason the show writers were like yes this is the demographic that appeals most it is a dog that is entirely made of a head maybe some little ambulatory numbs and uh both michael and i would cheerfully have killed dr smith in like the first 20 minutes of the first episode yeah <laughs> i i don't know if he would have been booted out of an airlock or if we would have just poisoned him and left him somewhere i don't know marooned him i um, wouldn't have marooned him i probably just <laughs> the aggravation is personal <laughs> well after a certain First time it could have been like, okay, you can lay the blame on anybody mm -hmm. as to why we don't get home. Yeah. Second time, if it's something mm -hmm. he purposely did, okay, this is the last time. After about the seventh or eighth time, yeah, and no further. <laughs> A Sir Patrick Stewart moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no further. <laughs> and oh. he would have ended up, I. Yeah, uh, booted. I would have phasered him and that would have been the end of it. Just I leaving. don't know what happened. It was a terrible, terrible accident. We will always remember Dr. Smith's sacrifice. We always will. <laughs> Let's go. Dear Dr. Gunnabite it, I'll never forget you. Yeah, Moving pretty on. much. <laughs> pretty much. And this, this was done, I think the, uh, the film they did in, what was that? When did they do the film? Early 2000s? Yes. Yes, they did. I enjoyed that a great deal, actually. I liked the special effects in it, uh, especially the, the helmet that sort of swallowed your head. They were doing a lot yeah. of that kind of CGI effect on Stargate Atlantis. Yeah. Or Stargate, sorry. Uh, Atlantis was the, the uh, sort of uh, continuation series or offshoot series. Yeah. Um, I thought Gary Oldman did really good as Dr. Smith. He did, yeah. And they set it up yeah. for a sequel, but I was sitting there going, how about uh -huh. no? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. Uh, I, I, soft spot for Robbie, always, because he's yeah. the same robot from uh, Forbidden Planet, which we both No, 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 oh. no, no. I no, tell no, a no. lie. No, 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 no. Completely different robots. Oh, goodness. Completely different That's robots. That's robotist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> completely different oh robbie from forbidden planet looked somewhat humanoid compared uh -huh. to um the lost in space robot yeah I, I guess there is a picture on wikipedia so i can yeah yeah can double check and, that and, and i'm on a different page now that's okay mm -hmm. but uh with yeah with lost in space i feel like that hearing that it done only three seasons I'm beginning to see a pattern with 60s sci-fi because now mm -hmm. I'm looking at it just going, okay, we've mentioned three from the 60s and all mm -hmm. three had only three seasons, be it Star Trek, My yeah. Favorite Martian, or Lost in Space. They only had three seasons. And I don't, <clears throat> it sounds like with Lost in Space, that very much was intentional. With Star yeah. Trek, I think they were, I think gene roddenberry was hoping to get at least a couple more seasons out of it yeah well i mean roddenberry's concepts will will go a far piece yeah uh, with ray bradbury um 
as a writer, he's he's he does a lyric prose writing style. Uh, if you've ever read something, Wicked This Way Comes or uh, any of the short stories, really. Um, it's a very distinctive style and it can be uh, evocative and dreamy. But uh, there was a, um, gosh, also in the, the mid to late 90s, there was a Ray Bradbury Theater Presents where they were doing a half hour show format or a 45 minute show format. And it was Bradbury's short stories brought, brought to life. And a lot of times you had a really great premise and a pretty decent middle, but not a good conclusion. Uh, David Ogden Steers was in one that I remember most particularly. And the setup was we had this far future dystopian world where nobody went outside and everybody was just kind of in their own little homes and apartments and they would, watch the TV shows and nobody really knew if the TV shows were live broadcasts or if they were just reruns of long dead actors, but the entire population was being controlled. And there were sort of these automated robots patrolling outside to tell the citizens to go back in their homes if they dared come out. And uh, the concept was vague enough that you didn't, and short enough that you didn't have time to wonder like, how do these people eat? Where do they go to work? You know, what happens with health, problems? How, do, how does anybody socialize? And David Ogden Steers was playing a character who would sneak out at night and walk around. Um, and was trying to get his friend to do the same, to go on walks with him so that they could breathe the night air and look at the plants and see the stars and just experience living. And uh, he finally talks his friend out of the house and they have to, you know, get special clothes to do this, dark clothes and sneakers so they're not loud and uh the security robot finds them and uh basically the uh the episode ends with david ogden steers climbing into the cabin of this security automated robot and telling his friend goodbye and just saying well i wonder what the next adventure holds uh because obviously i'm going somewhere i wonder where i'm going <laughs> Um, and the story concept came out of Bradbury's own habit of walking late at night and occasionally getting harassed by cops who wondered what he was and doing and who he was. Um, and out of that, he, he built this science fiction story, but it's got a great premise. It's got a pretty decent middle, but the ending is in this particular case, a very much lady in the tiger. Yeah. So, um, my experience of Bradbury is, is exactly that, but, um, with uh, Star Trek, you have so many different seed ideas that uh, mm -hmm. Roddenberry had that have been blown up into five, eight, seven different show concepts. Yeah. From iterations of Trek to Andromeda to Earth, was it Earth 2 was one of his? Or, uh, uh, yeah, there, it's not, that's not quite the same. It might be Earth 2. Yeah. It might be Earth 2. I'm, I'm not sure entirely, but. Have to double check um, that. That's got Casey Brown as uh, a character that I. Clancy enjoyed. Brown. Clancy Brown. Always get that wrong. Sorry. Lovely actor. Good character actor. Good body of work. Um, usually no offense, heavy. Clancy. Yeah, Sorry, man. Usually he's a heavy. In this one, he's a hero and it, he does it really well. Um, hello, hi. I'm being yelled at. I'm not letting you talk. I'm sorry. Talk. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I know with Deep Space Nine, that that was a concept they came up with after Roddenberry. That wasn't yeah. something that he actually... Right. Right. But his, his ideas have legs. Yeah. And they will go the distance. And uh, I, I don't think... Um, 
the the one with the the uh, Don was the character name. Uh, it was androgynous aliens. Oh, you know the one I mean, and I can't think of the name. Um, it was super big, and the the brouhaha around it was they uh, the aliens were meant to be genderless. So um, it was a big secret what actor or actress was playing which alien because they didn't want people to pick apart the performance and go, ah, that actor's male. Excuse me. Uh, and they successfully did conceal that while the show was running. You, you weren't sure who was playing what. Yeah. Um, and the, the actors and actresses all did an amazingly good job, I think, of being androgynous. And that was the first time really that had been hammered home Yeah. in a presentation. I mean, like E.T. is genderless, but... Um, these were humanoid aliens interacting with humanity very particularly. And so it was a really interesting concept to bring to the screen. That was yeah. from a Roddenberry seed idea. Yeah. Nice. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm still. No, that's okay. That's okay. You're passionate. <laughs> that's all right. Now, the one that I was going to bring up that I figured the minute I dropped the name, we'll probably be off and running for the rest of the segment just on it for a little while is I thought what I would do is step back still and let you talk about Manimal. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. There is a show called oh, Manimal. Man, Animal, Man, Animal with uh, Simon McCorkendale. Yep. The poor man's Michael York. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I thought he was a really good actor. He, he had a he great a very... look. He was, you know, most everything I've seen him in, he, he steps forward and he... He delivers. Really good actor. He does. Let's get let's get some metrics. This is eighty three people. Um, I saw this when it aired. So infant Heather, uh, I would have been nine. Infant Heather was so taken with this. I already had a crush on Michael York. Uh, Simon McCorkendale looks very similar. They have played brothers in at least one production. Um, excellent actor, Shakespearean trained probably. But here yeah, is the probably. pitch. Here, Here is. is the pitch from 83. The show centers on the character Jonathan Chase, Simon McCorkendale, a shape-shifting man who can turn himself into any animal he chooses. And he uses this ability to help solve crimes. And all the animals they could afford were a, a panther-type cat, may or may not have had hair dye all over it, a hawk, and, oh God, I don't think a snake. What was the third one? There were only three that they could afford. So every week he had to turn into one of those three animals and um, it was, it was going to be one of the three. So all of the writing had to revolve around that. Um, okay. Let's see. The, the thing says uh, he would transform into Hawk and Black Panther in nearly every episode. In some episodes they could rent out something different. So he would transform into a horse, a dolphin, a bear, or a bull with the transformation taking place off screen though. Once he was shown becoming a snake. And that's that. I think that's a, a herring because he didn't. There's a, a sight gag when the the actress paired with him. Again, mild romantic tension. Uh, that was Melody Anderson, I believe. Yes, she is in the 1980 film Flash Gordon as Dale Arden. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Bang up. Which actress. also has Timothy Dalton. <laughs> yes, and Brian Blessed. <laughs> Brian Blessed. Cameo by Richard O'Brien of Rocky Horror fame. Oh, goodness. Because 
he plays one of the uh, sidekicks of Timothy Dalton. Oh, hilarious. In the planet of Borea. Yeah. He's playing a flute at one point. Of course he is. And <laughs> Dalton and him have an exchange where he sits there and looks at him and says, I'm going to kill Gordon now. And O'Brien looks at him and says, and lose the princess forever? <laughs> you know, I'll point it out to you next time Please we're watching do. it. Just go, yeah, yes. Richard oh, O'Brien, riffraff of Rocky Horror. If you're a yeah. Rocky Horror fan, he is in that. That's fun. That's a fun film. But yeah, for Manimal, if you've ever seen the the thriller video with Michael Jackson, and uh, they show a close-up of Jackson's hand, and his skin looks like it's bubbling because he's turning into the monster in the thriller video, that is basically the special effect they had for Manimal. So uh, every single episode... They showed close-up of Simon McCorkendale's hand. It's bubbling. Then they show maybe his face, and it's bubbling too. And it was the same stock footage every time. Uh, there were only eight episodes of this thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really didn't get a chance to get any no. legs underneath it. But honestly, it was such an overblown concept. Like, if you could become any animal you wanted because of story, plot, whatever, technology, I would never use it to solve crimes. <laughs> Well, we, we picked this up uh, recently and like at the library or we found it online and Michael was watching an episode or two and I had to go to work and it, I was struggling because I'm like, I have to leave now. Dang it. Um, it's very like the first pilot episode. There's Simon McCorkendale and he's wearing what was supposed to be in the in the uh, late 70s, the you know, the the very posh gentleman's outfit. So he's got the the three-piece suit, an overcoat over it, uh, like a fedora-type hat, and a white scarf. <laughs> no one else in the show is dressed like this, but he is, he's dressed to the nines in like 9,000 layers of clothing. And he's tracking a smuggling ring, so he's in a taxi cab, and then the, the panther leaps out of the taxi cab, and his clothes are mysteriously not still in the cab, so, you know, who knows what happens to them when he, uh, he becomes an animal. And he's prowling around a warehouse because, of course, the least conspicuous animal in the world is a giant black panther <laughs> in New York. Um, but I, yeah. as, as a kid, I loved this show. And I was just, you know, terribly worried about him anytime he was he was getting shot at or something or other. But there was one episode that stood out very, very clearly. And okay. that was, um, if you are of a certain age, you remember old Hanna-Barbera cartoons and you'd probably remember Jana of the jungle which was sort of a tarzan shtick but instead of tarzan it was Jana. she had a magic necklace and she was in the amazon and she had a white panther named ghost and there was a whole episode of manimal where there's this you know orphaned wild child that they find and so um, Simon McCorkendale's character is like filthy rich in the show, of course, because you, you know, you have to be in the, in this context to fight crime as a giant leopard, um, is trying to trigger her memories. Cause she's really the long lost daughter of his explorer friend who went missing ye these many years ago. And it had such a heavy Jana of the jungle vibe that I was just all over it as a kid. And again, you know, I'm like eight or six or something when this, this show aired, so um, heavily invested in the Jana of the Jungle vibe. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I I didn't hear about Manimal till 
years later, the Sci-Fi Channel ran it once, like back in the 80, or 80s or 90s. Mm, yeah, probably. And that's where yeah. I saw it from, or at least a preview of it, like a little TV spot. But up until just recently, I'd never seen any episodes of it. Yeah, oh man. It was there and then it was gone. I, I don't know that it's aged well, but... I don't think it's on DVD. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think, you know, I would say this. I, I know the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man is also not on DVD, mm -hmm. which is a shame. Uh, shout out to, um, there's a website out there and a YouTube channel in which someone is restoring mm -hmm. all of those old episodes. Oh, nice. Without any help mm -hmm. from anybody. A They're just of love. Yeah, labor of love. Mm -hmm. I've seen what they're doing. It looks great. Nice. It really does. It looks nice. They really brought out the color in it. And now, is this just one series or is this a bunch of different series? It's a series that lasted. Oh, God, I don't. I, is it, it, are we specifically talking about the Spider-Man you just mentioned? Yeah, Spider-Man. Okay, sorry. The Spider-Man, uh, Nicholas Hammond, yeah. yeah. Someone's uh, remastering all the episodes okay. without any oh, okay. help from a studio or anything. Okay, I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. I thought you meant there was a group of people remastering various TV series. Oh, and this is yeah. just for the, uh, the Spider-Man. It's just for the Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and I, I am not familiar with that particular Spider-Man iteration. And I know you've mentioned it before. Yeah. And I have some of the episodes. Yeah. We can, we can watch it at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, the episodes are really good. Uh, it didn't really center around Marvel villains okay. per se. There was a lot of different things. Uh, he, they dealt with, um, uh, Cloning, brainwashing, terrorist bombs, huh. uh, a haunting or two. Oh, there's yeah. one called the Curse of Rava. Oh my goodness! And yeah, and there's a haunting. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. There's there's a lot of different ones that they did, and very short lived show. I don't think it lasted two seasons. But what they ended up doing was because a lot of them were like one and two parters. There's there's one where he goes to Hong Kong. That one's called the Chinese Web, and yeah. it's which sounds pretty cool. It sounds like you know Bruce Lee beats Spider Man and everything. Yeah, yeah that's just, one we can definitely. Just meant, you, you just triggered a memory. Yeah, so. I did. We'll we'll get into that that show in just a second. She just showed me uh, one that she wants to talk about, and we probably will. <laughs> but another one, short lived, and it's a shame that it didn't get more momentum. Uh, I thought Nicholas Hammond had a really good look. In fact, the people on this particular YouTube channel mm -hmm. have interviewed uh, Nicholas Hammond and mm -hmm. uh, a couple of other people from that mm -hmm. series. And it's it's really good. It's, it's well, if you compare it to the Spider-Man of today, it's apples and oranges. A lot of people mm -hmm. would sit there and say, yes, it's dated. Mm -hmm. It's got very 70s disco it's got very 70s disco theme music to it you know it the theme almost sent was saxophone <laughs> it almost i remember watching it in college and somebody uh next door thought i was watching a porno <laughs> i wish i was kidding i uh, know you're not that's i wonderful. wish i was kidding they thought i was watching some sort of porno oh, because wonderful. of the music <laughs> I really wish I was kidding, uh, but no, that's fine. 
that's fun. Yeah, I, we should. I should. I should take a look at this because it sounds. It sounds. It is right up my alley because I'm not a huge Spider-Man fan. I never really read the comics. Um, yeah, I had a couple Spider Spider Woman comics when I was yeah a little little that's, kid. That's pretty cool too. But they did but, a Saturday morning cartoon for her that yeah, was never, really good. Never saw that. Um, I I got a chance to see that. Yeah, that was good. it. Was done really well. Yeah. Um, but you know the the. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Spider-Man never, like, I, I remember seeing some of the, some of the reboot movies, um, gosh, probably early 2000s. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I, I just kind of lost track. Uh, I've only seen the most recent Spider-Man, Tom Holland. Yeah. Because he's in the, some of the Marvel Universe films that I've caught. And some like of the, the Avengers movies. The, the Infinity like Stone Captain things. America yeah. stuff. Yeah. I've, and I, you know, I'm sorry, any MCU fans, I'm, I am not well versed in the MCU universe. Um, so no offense there. I just don't, I, I, I come and go with it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a slapdash uh, viewer. Oh goodness. But, I mean, I yeah. do enjoy the Marvel, the MCU universe. Yeah, and I haven't had yeah. a chance to get into it as much as I'd like. Uh-huh. Uh, the same goes for DC, but, yeah. and this is something that we'll, we'll touch on. Mm later on we'll probably yeah. do a, a marvel or, versus yeah. dc or dc versus marvel yeah, we'll at out. some point <laughs> and that yeah that's that's a whole other show by itself yeah yeah honestly though i i, I probably do not have strong as strong opinions as even well we have a, an acquaintance named margaret who uh <laughs> absolutely has strong opinions on the matter and it's she's got strong opinions about everything <laughs> yeah. and that's what mostly, we, lo- mostly what we love about her yeah she's she's a she's a force of nature it's, yeah it's kind of phenomenal but anyhow um let's let's maybe mention the one that that uh manimal reminded me of uh do you want to do that or do you want to go ahead and break real quick um let's let's squeeze it in Okay, go ahead and squeeze it in. If we run out of room. Because there's a couple you mentioned even before we started recording. We haven't even touched on. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. We'll we'll get to them or they'll be Wednesday show. Okay. (laughs) Because I keep keep remembering these things. Yeah, there was was a lot of them. There was a lot uh, of these shows. Three seasons, again. Three seasons under. uh, 82 to 83. And it's called The Greatest American Hero. Yep. Believe it or not. not. Um, Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Great theme song. Yes. Great theme song. You uh, could put it in a Superman musical. Yeah. No matter where you put it, it would work. Yeah. I had the LP and I sang along much to the annoyance of my family. I still might have the, I still might have the 45 over there. Yeah. I believe you. I believe you. I might have it somewhere. Yep. (laughs) The man who sang it is named Joey Scarberry. Oh, okay. And the theme song is called Believe It or Not. And it's, it's a fun, earwormy song from yeah. the early '80s, and it's it's, it's nice. a lot of fun. So it's it's William Cat and Robert Culp, and yeah. then a lady actress whose name escapes me. Uh, I'm looking her up real quick because she's a very good actress. Very good actress. Very Connie, beautiful woman. Connie Selico. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Very good character actress as well. Yes. She she was in a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, William Cat is uh, like a school teacher. Yes. And he's out in the desert in California doing who knows what. I uh, believe he's on like a field trip or something with that, his students. That tracks. And... But uh, space alien happens. 
and I forget if it's a crashed ship or just a weird alien encounter. Weird alien encounter. Mm -hmm. These aliens come down and give him a suit. And it's fire engine red. Looks like Long John's. Has a has a weird little symbol on the, the chest that reminds me of uh, the Labrys, the double-headed axe. Yeah, from, something like uh, that. Greek or uh, Mycenaean antiquity. I am probably incorrect. Yeah. And Robert Culp is his friend, who's a cop or reporter. I believe he's with the CIA. Okay, it's it's I a think, character Robert I think Culp. He's, would play. I think I think he's I want I want to say Bill. he's an agent, but he might be just yeah. a cop. And he's and Culp is tailor made to play this. I mean, perfect. he he he's great, but he's he's done sci-fi before. Mm -hmm. He did one of my favorite episodes from the original Outer Limits called Demon with the Glass Hand. Oh, yes. And oh, if, you, a good one. if you haven't had a chance to see that or are interested in the Outer Limits, that is one episode that I would cite mm. very highly on. Yeah. It was shot in this very weird building that they used again for the film Wolf with Jack Nicholson as Did far as the really? publish for the publishing building that they were in. Ah. It's the same building. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, good episode. Very good premise. Uh, creepy. Highly recommended. Well uh, written. Yeah. Well acted. Yes. Well everything all the way down. Perfect. A highlight of that particular series. Another yeah. series that yeah. ran two seasons. Mm -hmm. Two, mind you. That they've tried to reboot a few times and have struggled with format and yeah. pacing. The same thing with Twilight yeah. Zone. Yeah. They've, that they rebooted that in the 80s and it, it was okay, yeah, yeah. but it also made you appreciate the original more yeah hats off to jordan peele because yes. i feel like he he understands yes the twilight zone his is the heir yeah to the original yeah and i i have kudos seen... to you jordan you understand the zone he's just he's an outstanding outstanding director um i i've not seen the films that he's done you have uh, yeah they're a little too intense for me so that's that's they why are I, but but I heard nothing but praise for his work and nothing but uh, yeah. high marks for how he handles the subjects he tackles and how how subtle and entwined and brilliantly told his stories are. So, yeah, you he's, know, he's good. Marks. He's high good. I, I expect oh. him to be in the industry for many, many years. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. So Because um, you need someone like that to yeah. come in because he's mm -hmm. just... I can't, just what I've seen alone, I can't praise his work enough. Yeah. And I, I hope he continues mm -hmm. and really leaves when he finally does many, 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 many years from now, My shuffle favorite. off this mortal coil. I'm sure he will leave a body of work. 10,000 years later. Yeah. He'll leave a body of work that's worth remembering. Yeah. I, I believe he will. Nice. Um, so back to greatest American hero for a minute. Uh, basically, uh, William Katz character, Ralph doesn't understand how to use the suit. The instructions are in, uh, the alien language. So Bill, uh, Oh, is, is trying to help him figure out and Pam, yeah. his friend, uh, and sort of love interest or girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the three of them are trying to figure out how Ralph can be a superhero and, uh, there was one kind of scary episode with like a ghost or a monster that I still remember. And yeah. uh, I, I can't remember the resolution of it. It's there, there was a, th this is an even older series called Tales of the Gold Monkey, 
there was a creepy, creepy episode that I, yes, sorry, I'm shutting up now. <laughs> sorry, we, we're coming to a point where we have to cut off and pause and refresh, but we'll be right back to take this conversation back up in just a moment. I thought I could squeeze it in. I wasn't sure. We, we <laughs> This will be a continuation to the next segment. <laughs> this is Couch and Coffee Table. We'll be right back. Segment three of Couch and Coffee Table, where Heather doesn't let Michael talk. <laughs> it's okay. Too much to go on with it. I just wanted to mention <laughs> that he got the instructions for the suit, uh -huh. but then he promptly lost them. Oh. And then he ended up getting instructions for the suit later on because the aliens uh -huh. came back. <laughs> like and he found right. out all these incredible things that he could do. He, at one point, after after he got the instructions, he was sitting there going, I can teleport? Because <laughs> there's a point wherever he put a, his index finger to the side of his temple and everything, uh -huh. and he's thinking about where he wants to go, and he winds up in uh, Kelp's car. Nice. And then he's just looking at that and looks at him, and Kelp's sitting there going, how did you do that? I don't know. I was trying something new. Could you warn me first? Because <laughs> I could be doing something. There could be somebody here. Could you, you <laughs> could know, you I know you got a suit and you can fly, but could you look before you leap? <laughs> you know. Oh, it's a fun show. It's, it's, it's I've not tried to watch it recently, but I think it's, I mean, just memory, memory points to the idea that it would have weathered fairly well. It, I think it would have, but you have to keep it in the context in the time it was made. Yeah. Okay. So That's fair. very much early 1980s. Yeah. And if with some of these shows, it's better if you keep them. Yeah. In the, yeah. if you remember the time frame with which they were made, mm -hmm. because if you look at some of these, the premise for a lot of these shows, some of them could not have been made in this time or this time, or yeah. if they had they would have a completely different look mm -hmm. and a completely different premise to them and maybe characters that you wouldn't have seen or heard of mm -hmm. except in this time or in this time. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the, the villain casting is very telling. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite the propaganda peril that you get in the 1930s and 40s films. Yeah. And it's not the Cold War <clears throat> of James Bond films where, you know, we're always doing a spy versus spy. Um, but uh 80s was was its own sort of thing yeah uh, and there's there's still two or three that were short-lived <clears throat> excuse me oh, sorry um there's one that i never there's there's two or three from the 80s that was sci-fi that i didn't get the chance to see but i felt like that in the 1980s we had a lot of different sci-fi and fantasy shows and I felt like that with looking back, a lot of the things that came out, I feel like the studios and the TV stations were throwing stuff at the wall to mm. see what would stick. Yeah. And yeah, that's fair. That's, there's nothing wrong with that if mm -hmm. you find a really good story. However, the problem is, is that if you, you've got something really good, mm -hmm. but then you get into it and then all of a sudden, well, I don't want to do this. I want to go to something else. Yeah. It's gone. As executives, 
if you are channel surfing worse than the people are, <laughs> right? Then, you know, how, how do you expect a really good show to yeah. take off and find its audience? I mean, mm -hmm. syndication, home video, mm -hmm. streaming, all of these things are how a lot of these shows still have life to them. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hit or miss what gains a cult following or a cult status, what flops at the box, but absolutely becomes a sensation with fans. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to, I mean, there's so many beloved and long running series that did not find their legs the first season or two or three seasons. And Star Trek Next Gen is absolutely one of them. Uh, first season is super bumpy, awkward. And hello, tea cake. <laughs> uh, yeah, the actors are trying to find themselves in the character. They're trying to find themselves in the writing, their motivations, what, uh, what makes them tick and bring good, solid performances. But it's a struggle for, for a lot of it. Um, but they really settle into themselves. So by the time you get to season seven, and I've not watched a lot of the later seasons of Next Gen. Uh, you have. Yes. But yes. Uh, by the time they get there, they know their characters inside and out. And that is really worth seeing because then you can really start to tell juicy stories. Yeah. The, the <laughs> writing gets very, very tight as we progress on through into the seasons. One of the things, I'm talking about Star Trek just for a moment, the difference between Next Gen and original series is I felt like that with next gen, mm. they branched out and they, they wrote about the whole crew. Yes. Versus original series. We focused on Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Yeah. So it was either medical, it had to deal with an alien mm -hmm. or it had to deal with a captain and his, his, his libido. Um, <laughs> Captain's pants. Um, versus yeah. next gen we still dealt with an alien because we we did all these different episodes and we got to mm -hmm. see all these episodes about wharf yeah but we also had a lot of these episodes concerning data yeah we we branched out and we were able to show mm -hmm. okay it's not just about the one token alien in the room yeah we've also got this android over here who's mm -hmm. trying to discover more about himself and the world around him yeah we have got but deanna troy and who is an empath who mm -hmm. feels or as they joke around the cast themselves joked around said feel shit yeah fun head <laughs> apparently the next <laughs> gen set shit? was was a harsh one you had to have as as the actors have mentioned in yeah. interviews you had to have very thick skin working on the next gen set it was uh it was a lot of uh, a lot of ribbing, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is understandable. I mean, as Sir Patrick Stewart has talked enough times about how he approached it uh, very strictly and seriously, until his cast taught him how to have fun, even with all the hard work. And uh, he's he's yeah. been very open about saying it made him a better actor, and it made him just a just easier to be around. And that's a really cool acknowledgement from an actor, especially it, it one is. of his caliber and fame and experience that he was yeah open to learning um real quick going back to greatest american hero for a moment uh just to kind of huh i'm walking on air i yep. never thought i could yeah 
<laughs> Sorry, please. If if I could, I would have a segment where we do some really cool theme songs. Mm -hmm. We should. But for copyright reasons, I I don't know if we can or not. We could probably talk about them. Yeah, we can talk about them, but, but I mean, actually, yeah, 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 yeah I, if I could, look, I'd want to play up. them. <laughs> look it up. It's out there. Yeah, um, YouTube. Just YouTube yeah. it. Hurrah, the internet. Mm. Yeah, I. it always felt like it, it ended way too soon, mm. and I I didn't did, feel like it. Suddenly, it got canceled, Yeah, and then uh, the, the storyline was unfinished, and there was they, a really spooky episode that I remember and yeah they they finished it but it's still they they could have done more with the yeah the finish i don't even remember the the finish no spoilers okay <laughs> well we'll probably revisit it at some point yeah. it, was, it was a big chunk of childhood it was a it was a big thing so versus uh, like alf or quantum leap i did not like the endings on either one of those at all i could not even tell you what the endings were i didn't really catch alf regularly uh, so for those of you playing at home that, that are perhaps younger than we are, Alf was a Muppet and he was supposed to be an alien and he ate house cats or, or something. And that always bothered me. He was from the planet Milmac, I believe. That sounds plausible. And in, in the way of sitcoms in the Or 80s, he might've been a Milmac. Yeah. Milk toast. Um, he just lived with a suburban family. And they're like, yeah, this, this alien, they did this with, they did this with so many different things like suburban family and wacky kooky element. Um, Again, see my favorite Martian, my favorite Martian, the Flintstones with the great kazoo, Harry and the yeah. Hendersons. Yeah. But that's uh, more Bigfoot. Yeah. But you know, kooky thing. <laughs> Sigmund and the sea monsters. Yep. For those of you Saturday morning fans. Marty Sid and, Sid and Marty Croft. Yep. Oh, such an acid trip. Yeah. Uh, but an iconic one because... That was one of my more favorite ones. That I, I didn't really get into Land of, Land of the Lost, just to kind of veer away for a second. Oh, man, the Sleestacks. Yeah, I didn't yes. get into that one, the dinosaurs and everything. Oh. I am like the only kid of my generation who did <laughs> not get into dinosaurs. I know. that uh, Not as heavy as the others. I, I had a passing fancy with it, but I... Wasn't as big as everybody else around me. Dinosaurs. Michael, I can't didn't even cite the binomial names. <laughs> no, Although they've I all can't. changed. They've yeah. all changed. I, I I went through dinosaur phase because um, they were the you know, little kid lexicon. They were the closest things to dragons. Yeah, they were real and they were big and you know. Anyway, um, they've all changed. Yes, yeah. <laughs> new science. But I'm not caught up, so I have like six year old Heather's dinosaur knowledge, <laughs> and it's woefully yeah. out of date. Um, the three that I remember from uh, Sid and Marty Croft, the three that I would watch uh, would would have been Wonderbug. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, superhero car. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, mm -hmm. or Sigmund the Sea Monster, uh -huh. and Doctor Shrinker. Vaguely. Yeah, I think you've shown me bits. Of yeah, Doctor Shrinker. Shrinker is about three yeah. people that are lost on an island. They get, they crash land on an island from a plane. You've got a mad scientist who shrinks them down. So it's, it's half lost meets Honey I Shrunk the Kids. And it was a Saturday morning show. It had Billy Barty in it. Oh, Billy Barty! <laughs> and as as the little assistant. <laughs> 
and it was an interesting premise. Oh, he okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking up Sid and Marty Croft, and there I I always forget. There's also Electro Woman and Dyna Girl. Oh, Electro Woman and Dyna Girl, which I never watched, but we caught a few episodes. I think I saw here. a little bit yeah. of that. H.R. Puffin stuff is an acid trip. There was never Lidsville. watched it. I didn't either. Never watched it. Um, so I'm the youngest in my family, and there's a ten year spread between my oldest sister and I. So some of the hand me downs I had were just really weird. And the weirdest were the Sid and Marty Croft merchandise. So I had some coloring books where there was a Okay. A land where they were all bugs. There was a land where everybody Oh yeah, the bugaboos. Yeah. And they were they were like a singing, like a mod singing group, but they were bugs. Yeah. And there was a whole thing about that and like the lead the lead vocalist chick was a butterfly. Anybody loved her. Weird stuff. But then yeah. there was Lidsville. I have this yep. whole coloring book about Lidsville and this, you know, the human human boy falls into dimensional portal of fear and loathing and ends up from a, a magic hat. Yeah. Okay. You know more about this than I do, but the coloring book was weird. And so, you know, Mayor McCheese and, in Ronald McDonald, Mayor McCheese, Hamburglar. Yeah. Huge head for a cheeseburger, anthropomorphic cheeseburger head. Terrifying. This was Sid and Marty Croft the whole way. So you had like cowboy hat that had arms and legs and well, there was a lot of talk that the mcdonald's franchise had yes. stolen from sid and marty Croft Absolutely. some of the designs yeah. and everything plausible and <laughs> mcdonald's sat there and said there's no way and sid and marty are sitting there going why don't you stop and take a look at what you're yeah. what you're shoveling there buddy uh-huh yeah the, the mayor the mayor in in a lot of places resembles mayor mccheese very very yeah. strongly um but Michael mentioned Land of the Lost, and uh, so I, I one of the things I'm doing. Sorry, we went off on a Saturday morning yeah. tear. We'll do another show where we just talk about Saturday morning. <laughs> Goodness, um, that'll probably be later on this month. I hope. Yeah. So I, I work in a water treatment facility, and um, I got to tour uh, early on in my grad career. I got to tour a wastewater treatment facility, and uh, over Thanksgiving break, this was my idea of a fun time. Um, so the facility was built in the late sixties and around every corner, I kept expecting to run into the sleigh stacks. And, uh, these were like the lizard menace in, uh, land of the lost and, uh, the, the human family who'd been teleported into dinosaur land or whatever it was. Uh, I barely remember some of these episodes. Again, it was like syndication or my, my older siblings would, would tell me about this. And uh, the Slee Stacks kind of resembled the Gorn from original series Trek a little bit. And yeah, I they would see sort that. of have this hissing thing. I would imitate it, but I, I don't know that I can get the right rattle to my voice. I haven't tried in many years. Um, but you know, you were always running into Slee Stacks, and a lot of late '70s science fiction took place around industrial sites because you could, as a film location, you could rent. Uh, some kind of treatment plant or like maybe uh, a, a disused uh, manufacturing facility pretty cheaply. So a lot of the dystopian science fiction films are like, we rented a fog machine and this water treatment plant, and then we're going to spray some water around the set and light it really weird. And then the characters are going to run around. <laughs> uh, Logan's run is made particularly in this fashion, I think. 
Doctor Who uh, did that for years. Absolutely. And I, I, for years. Let me walk back on the Logan's Run com- comment because there's some pretty fantastic set design there. But yeah, there is. In some segments, they are running around industrial built complexes. So it makes sense. You know, they rented out a treatment center. So um, I had great, delightful fun touring this, this water facility, uh, learning all about uh, environmental engineering things and uh, aquatic chemistry things. But also imagining I would run into the sleep stacks at every turn. And uh, I work in a water treatment facility now, and I still do this. <laughs> that actually leads me back into veering away from Saturday morning just for a moment. Um, we'll, we'll come back to it in another episode. When I think of the Gorn. Yes. Um, I think a lot of it's, it's similar to how the creatures in V look. Yes. And v was one of the ones I also wanted to talk about from the 80s. Before I went on a tear. <laughs> That's okay. Here's a show that it had two really good miniseries. You had V and V the Final Battle. Yeah. And then you had a very short-lived, short-lived mm-hmm. series. I think it was only about 16 episodes. Let's look it up. I think it only ran for like a season. And the series started out pretty good there were some that were episodic and very much with a tv series but they still managed to move a lot of different things forward and they they had some really good characterization and where the characters ended up those that started out in the miniseries the very first miniseries mm-hmm. they they at least gave it somewhat of an ending yeah it, it did have an ending. It may not have had the ending that you wanted. Yeah. But you you got an ending that at least was mm-hmm. sat, it, it satisfied. It covered all the plot points. Was this was this t- the Wikipedia says the TV series was in two thousand nine? Uh, that sounds like no. A that's different. the reboot. Okay. Okay. So this is that's the reboot. Eighty four to eighty five. Um, yeah. So the. The first miniseries was 83, then V the Final Battle was next. 84, and then about 85 is whenever it got a... um, The series. Yeah. TV series. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it... It's not telling me how many episodes. Uh, How many episodes? It's not telling me. Uh, Let's see here, just a second. We've got to scroll down. Mark Singer, 19. 19. Plus one unfilmed. List of episodes. Mark Singer, who is wonderful, lovely. Yeah, uh, I haven't have, met him, but... I have. <laughs> yep. And he told me I was beautiful, and he was lying. But <laughs> it was still really nice to hear. <laughs> I got his I autograph. Don't think, I don't think he was lying. I, I think he was being sincere. Well, he, he was very, he was very, very, very sweet. Um, so uh, that's, I've got an autographed picture of him in his uh, Beastmaster co- uh, costume. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, Beastmaster film. It's practically held together with string, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Singer was incredibly fit. Uh, he's a f- very physical actor anyway, uh, so there's there's lots of running, jumping, and leaping with him. But through this whole movie, he was mostly naked, and and there were large cats. So you know, I was. I think. The- and it was based on a. St- I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Story go concept ahead. that was by one of my favorite authors, Andre Norton. Um, the film bears zero resemblance to the work the book it's supposed to be based on uh and she actually hated it but 
in all honesty, it has the flavor of a Norton science fiction. So um, it works. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. It's absolutely not what she wrote for the, the book Beastmaster, because that is an outer space opera thing. And uh, the main character is uh, either Navajo or he's, uh, he's Sue and uh he's he's in outer space and he's got these animal companions yeah. because uh racist caricature <laughs> and, the movie itself uh, very much if i had to describe it it's uh dr doolittle meets conan pretty um, much no perfect perfect description absolutely yeah and rip torn is one of the main villains and he chews the scenery yeah so thoroughly <laughs> it's it's great he's got a funky hairdo as well um, there are ferrets, and uh, yeah, there are ferrets. Mark Singer's character is called Dar, <laughs> and it's just—it's so much fun. It's terrible. Uh, watch it. Get drunk. Uh, <laughs> have some pizza. It's really—it's really a fun time. There were some follow-up films, including a very ill-advised like Beastmaster Two, where they stick him in a modern city, and yeah, I don't know yeah. why they kept him wet for the entire film. But poor Mark Singer does not have a dry filming day. His hair is always like, looks like they dumped him in the shower and he steps out and, you know, it's just a ramen noodle mess. And he, he weathers it with good grace, but he's very beefy. It might have been a hot summer. Yeah, I don't even you know. know. I, like, I, I how don't much know oil either. They had to soak in to keep in that, that glistening. Uh, that was like after like the some of the Conan films. So they, they got him to beef up even more. Yeah. Uh, in the first one, he's a little leaner. He looks he looks like more of a of an athlete rather than a bodybuilder if, if that makes yeah. any sense oh goodness yeah that never i don't think that made a series i don't think they tried to do a beastmaster series but i maybe I'm, oh dear we, we have to look point. it up now well she's looking Keep that up talking about v yeah yeah um <laughs> v only lasted for like two mini series and like like we mentioned earlier altogether about 16 19 episodes all together uh they did read this is another one that they rebooted and i got to see some of the first season of that and uh story-wise the premise is there and they they did they did give a little bit more as far as writing the writing was much more put together for this so i i'm not sure why it didn't take off i think a lot of it it fell under the same curse that a lot of TV shows that you reboot, when you reboot them, because there's such a vivid memory of the original, a lot of times the the reboot just can't handle the yeah. pressure and weight of it. Yeah, that's because that's a good you point. you have the older one that still looms very large in people's yeah. minds. Why would you remake this? Um, to break in here, Beastmaster 2 is, uh, apparently you should snort a large amount of substance before you watch it because it's even more on crack than the original. It was done 10 years later than the original Beastmaster. And uh, here's here's the short sentence summary. Prehistoric Dar, Mark Singer, goes by Time Warp to Los Angeles to smite his laser-equipped long-lost brother, Wingshauser. Billy Barty's in it. Uh, because of course, Mr. Barney needed to pay his rent and, uh, great character actor, but man, he, I don't think he turned down a role. 
<laughs> so the Rip Torn was like that. Rip had eight, like nine kids or something. Um, so, working actor, working you actor. cannot, you cannot yeah. go against that. I mean, yeah. you know, they they can sit there and say, hey, it, you know, not every last one of them is going to be an yeah. Academy Award winning mm -hmm. film or anything. Yeah. You know, as the great Christopher Lee said, you know, the film might not be great, but I can still give a great performance. Yeah, and yes. I think that's what Mark yeah. Singer and any number of actors All go of into with it is just. Yeah. They, they commit to the script and mm -hmm. they say, okay, I'm going to give it my all. I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I am yeah. completely on this. And hopefully it will fly. If it doesn't, well, you know, yeah. better yeah. luck next time. <laughs> Got a paycheck. And we just keep oh. moving to the next project. Yeah, decades later, we're talking about it on the podcast. Yeah. Dar. Hello, tea cake. <laughs> but, um. Oh, she's so cute. There, there are a lot like that that just, uh, I'm blanking now on what else I wanted to talk about. Yeah, we, we were talking about the, hello, uh, before we got into uh, Mark Singerland. Um, so V was, uh, I remember the TV movies, there was a lot of, a lot of brouhaha and set up to them. Um, because it was a science fiction examination of the rise of the Nazi party. And a lot of things in the 80s were because... Um, I think, I think media and cinema did cover the topic of World War II a lot in the intervening years, but in yeah. the 80s, it seemed like that was something culturally everyone was examining again and, and retelling, uh, you know, how this happened, how should we fight fascism and how should we respond? And the premise with V is that aliens arrive and they're they're humanoid and they're very friendly and they're they're amazing and they um, they start giving Earth all of these things uh, and they want nothing from us they just want to be our friends and they're so charismatic and suddenly we have a cure for cancer and then oh my goodness it seems like the the uh, you know especially the Americans because this is centered in America the American scientists, they had the cure for cancer all along and they never told the public gasp. But here are these kind of benevolent aliens who are just giving us this cure and now we will be healthy and happy. And of course it's a setup. So Mark Singer's character, and I forget his character name, uh, is a reporter who kind of smells smells uh, something rotten in Denmark. And uh, he's, uh, his character is like a former war correspondent. So he's scrappy. And he's resourceful and um he gets himself onto one of the visitor the alien visitors uh spaceships and he sees some concerning things uh spoiler they're lizard people and they are in basic human suits to interact with us because uh underneath it they're they're gorn sleestack variety and uh there's uh, the commander, Diana, who's very beautiful and charismatic. And at one point she unhinges her jaw to have a little hamster snack. <laughs> and, and this is the 80s. It was really, you know, wow, special effects. And as a kid, you're like, oh, I never liked her. Because <laughs> she's, you know, she's absolutely poisonous as a character. And the actress brings it yeah, she beautifully. Does. And yeah. she's, uh, she's every bit. Very the, beautiful woman, but also a very, very deadly character. Dramatic and wonderful. You know, she would, she would absolutely sore on a soap opera kitty um so the the v begins to stand for visitor but eventually begins to stand for resistance because the scientists are demonized and uh 
a lot of them have to go underground. They lose their jobs. They lose their standing in society. They're put on lists and watch lists. Uh, other families are hiding them. So there's a sort of a diary of Anne Frank situation going on with some of the families who are Jewish and absolutely remember this happening the last time. So they are willing to hide their scientist friends. There's an underground movement. And uh, the whole thing is, you know, the, the alien visitors are taking over and it's subtle at first, but then it becomes more and more flagrant. And then the V starts standing for resistance. Um, and this was this was damn good cinema at the time and uh, very powerful storytelling, very poignant uh, when I was a kid. Very, very well acted, very well produced. Um, uh, what's, what's the actor's name? Willie. He plays Willie. Um, Robert England. Robert England. Is, Great guy. Got a chance yeah, to meet him. I really haven't. good guy. So there's there's Michael's really good celebrity. Guy. Very, very, um, very, very smart, easygoing guy. Yeah. Hard to believe he's Freddy Krueger, but he can bring it. He's <laughs> yeah. really cool. He really also cool guy. played a version of Phantom of the Opera. Yes, uh, we which, talked about that whenever yes. I met him. <laughs> Wonderful. We did um, talk about that whenever I met is, him. It's a fun, it's a Faustian interpretation of the Phantom, and it's mm -hmm. it's well done. And um, in, in V, Robert England is not a villain. And so it's a good chance to see a, a, a character actor known for villains playing a hero. Uh, it's very well done. Um, oh, Jeremy Jeremy Irons is in this as well, the series. Jeremy Irons? Maybe, maybe. Um, oh, in V? Yeah. I don't think he is. I know Andrew Prine. I hope I'm saying that right. If uh, he he is in the V miniseries. Uh, he he did a lot of he he did a lot of different things in the seventies. I also know him as Simon King of the Witches. Ah, yeah. And Grizzly. His character if you're is a fan Tyler. of that particular film. Tyler, he comes in because they phase out Mike. Michael Ironside. There we go. That's, that's Michael Ironside. Yeah, Michael Starship Ironside. Troopers. Yes. Highlander Two. Pam Tyler, episodes one. Scanners. Yes. Striking actor, very good actor. Uh, always like to see him in something. We're running out of time again. Yep. Hoop. We'll be right back to wrap this up. And um, stay tuned because we still got some more to say just real quickly. <laughs> You're listening to Couch and Coffee Table. Stay tuned. This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back. This is our final segment for this episode and also kind of a summation. There's so many TV shows that we didn't get the chance to mention here. And we will probably continue this on Wednesday's show yeah. because there's still a bunch. We haven't just in passing. We could probably rattle off just titles yeah. that we didn't get to because we we, we mentioned in passing Sequest uh -huh. and Heather yeah. looked up a lot of different things about that show. Yeah. Uh, there's Alien Nation, which was yes. a very short-lived thing. I, that's another one I didn't get a chance to see, but I oh, saw a man. lot of TV spots for it and everything. <laughs> um, good series. But so. there's there's so many different yeah. things. Uh, Auto Man is another one that I oh. didn't get a chance to talk about. That's a, that's a, I haven't seen that. Yeah, this is what happens when you mix Remington Steel with Tron. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. God. It was an interesting oh. show, but... 
this is stuff that yeah. hopefully we can we can talk about uh, whenever we get to Wednesday's show. So yeah. we hope you'll tune in for that. Uh, for right now, we're probably just going to go ahead and uh, sign off for uh, this particular episode. Yeah. So just a just a quick recap. So we we started wanting to talk about short-lived science fiction series and why they may or may not have worked. Yeah. And with each series we've mentioned, we've tried to touch on that a little bit, but I, I know yeah. I go off the page reminiscing and yeah. Uh, and I do too. Yeah. That's, that's all I like. I hope it's not terribly boring for you listening. Um, but uh, a common theme, I, I think with the ones we've talked about tonight is um Either we had a really complicated scenario that the actors and writers didn't have enough time to really find their feet with. Yeah. Or we had a situation where um, it was a sketch that shouldn't have been blown up into a longer series. It should have been like, here's our one shot Twilight Zone show. Instead, we tried to branch an entire series out of it. Yeah. And then it got bloated and saggy and soggy with uh, unnecessary elements. It, it became episodic, which yeah. is what you want for TV shows. Mm -hmm. But after yeah. a couple of years of that, unless you're going to bring something new and interesting mm -hmm. to it, you know, with Man from Atlantis, it felt like they basically, for the, for the latter, latter yeah. part of it, they made kind of Star Trek underwater. Yeah. Yeah, and, which might have paid off, but it didn't. We didn't have the scaffolding to support it. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, I heard this talked about uh, when Rumina Takahashi was doing the series Inuyasha, the first one. Um, uh, it was that was coming out in the '90s, early '90s, and for a long time in her storytelling, we had monster of the week and main character weapon upgrade. So the plot and character development wasn't changing all that much. It started out, the, the scenario was, and this is super brief sketch, magic item gets explodey, quest cycle happens because the characters have to put the magic item back together. And then here's a series villain they encounter, but like minor villains get thrown up in the way. And so for a while it was monster of the week here's the new baddie and it's yeah. an agent of the big baddie, but we're, you know, we're going to keep the boss fight till later. Um, yeah. Gain the next piece of the magic item and then power upgrade for the, uh, for the main quest person. You saw a little bit of that with the series Buck Rogers as well yes. to where, you know, he yeah. goes off on assignments. He uh -huh. does this in the first season and he meets all these different people along the way. Uh -huh. And then for second season, they put them on this ship, the searcher, right. and they, they just trek it. Yeah, we they do trek it, and definitely I... need to talk about Buck Rogers because uh, Wilma Deerling, is her name? Darling? Yeah. Deerling? Deerling, her character. Wilma Deering. Deering, there we go. Uh, her character is is lobotomized for the second season, practically. Yeah, first season, she, she very much, she was a strong, I, I loved her characterization oh, in the first yeah. season, but the second one, eh, it... she kicks much ass. The first season, she is a hard as nails fighter pilot, capable military woman, Colonel um, Wilma Daring. Yeah, Colonel, and she, uh, like her costume is spandex. They probably sewed her into. Uh, she bears it gracefully and with a plum, and she's just she's a kick ass character, and she doesn't have any any patience. Uh, is it Gilgarad? Uh, Gil Gerard. Gil yeah. Gerard, sorry, uh, for his uh, for his nonsense because he's the swaggery American out of time who's uh, been 
transported to the future. Gil whatever. plays it well. He does. He does. But she has no patience for him. Like he's he charms the socks off everyone else, including yeah. the robots. But she's just like, eh, eh. Uh, yeah. second season, they stick her in a skirt. And she's basically glorified air hostess. And all yeah, of Yeah, she her, looks like an extra from the love boat. It's, it's so depressing. Yeah. Because she was such a good character the first time. And they just... Yeah. Uh, and it's another situation where, like, the least qualified... Well, Buck Rogers isn't the least qualified. But he's absolutely out of step. Becomes kind of the driving force of this giant spaceship that's got a bunch of people on yeah. it. And they introduce a character that is ridiculous and wonderful. And his name is Hawk. <laughs> It's great, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we um, will talk about that later. We're going to have to wrap it up for <laughs> right now. We are a little late on the production of the episode, and that is probably my fault. So Don't worry about um, it. We um, apologize there. Yep, because, but yeah. we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, we appreciate everybody stopping by, listening, listening in on the couch with us, and hopefully you'll tune back in to see what else we got as this month unfolds, as we're probably going to be doing some more discussions about sci-fi throughout the month yeah uh we upload mondays and wednesdays this one is going to be a little late i think <laughs> yes but um just wanted to say thank you from us here at couch and coffee table take care take it easy we'll see you soon bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.